Fire, as such, is the providence of the elder, the god of the underworld, time, that which creates and destroys the world of appearances. Finally, Bran or Brian Baal, the god of fire, of craft, of lower magic and fertility and death. All things that are of this world belong to him, the star-crossed serpent. So you come to the true meaning of the cauldron. Bring forth the star sun, and you will have Dionysus, the horned child, and Jesus Christ in one. Robert Cochran How did the idea of this book came about? Um, well, uh, I think... John actually began writing it in the early 90s um, and he began actually writing it for people that he was um, corresponding with and working with that he'd adopted into the clan in, in America, the Finnans. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, to be fair, he, he wanted to write it as an offering, as a text piece of, of how the clan work. And so he devised a method of getting his thoughts down, um, which he did, and he completed the book. And it was going to be um, published over there through um, Chas Clifton. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it didn't happen. And it sort of got shelved for some time. And then it was picked up um, sort of by um, Kappelban and Mike Howe. And it was turned into, some of it was turned into the Roebuck in the Thicket. Not all of it, some of it. And the rest of it, because he put some of the pieces as articles into the cauldron so that they could go out to a wider public so that he could bring that that breath if you like that flavor of traditional craft to other people right and right. so he distributed it that way only some of it and of course the rubber in the thicket was supplemented by Roy's articles so it was a lovely blend of how it transited then from Roy through to John that was a nice piece of work um, but of course his own work um, was was still largely untouched and it stayed that way for a long time. And he was obviously writing this as I was being introduced to him and began working with him. So I was actually with him while he was writing some of it. And for me, it was a revisitation then, a couple of years ago, to go back and lift his work and go through it and edit it for him and get it published as it was when he'd written it. And it was a labor of love and it was a beautiful gift for me to be able to feel him in the room, as I did all those years ago while he was still writing it. And I could hear his voice, um, and he does speak. He has the most amazing clarity and the gift of... He doesn't have Roy's poesis. He doesn't have that in, incredible depth of um, intensity, but he does have a, an ability to just reach out and say something that touches you because it's so open, it's so candid. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, I don't know. I, I just felt um, almost transported, you see, mm -hmm. and, 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 uh, and you are transported into the world of the, of the clan and, and the clan's, um, you know, uh, rituals and, and, mythos and the symbology and everything and i was really quite flabbergasted um to actually see rituals in it um mm -hmm. plain you know just really clearly 
Um, yes. You know, and because you don't, you really don't. It's very rare for you to see things of the clan published, um, like rituals, entire rituals. Mm -hmm. And the explanations of the symbologies uh, within those rituals. And of course, you know, there's a whole lot of things that are not said. Um, yes. And we know that. And we do know also that this is meant probably to inspire others mm -hmm. in their own rituals. But it, it really is a treasure. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> Aren't they? And they are. so in, in, this, in, in, the, in the core of, of, of what uh, Robert um, Cochran says, um, he calls the faith, is the concept of out of chaos, the Godhead um, wanted order. Mm -hmm. And and can you explain this concept? Because this is in the very core of it. Mm, it is, and it's 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 the deepest of all mysteries because it it goes into the nature of who we are, the nature of being, and and this is, I suppose, where in our craft, our particular branch of craft, we have that Luciferian Gnostic premise, if you like, because it deals with that cosmology. It deals with the cosmogony. It, it is about where we are as people, where we are as beings, as spiritual beings, and how all of our aspirations as humans are metered by that spiritual aspiration. And so to look at the phantasmagoria of the whole structure of every layer of beautiful and infinitesimal you know, smallest and smallest of creatures and elementals and housewives and how they all go through an amazing pattern um, that's almost fractal in its beauty to, to the ultimate creatrix. And so the onset and the creation is, is very much, it's, it's from nothing. It, everything is created out of nothing. And so you have this amazing explosion of life and creativity and the beauty of, of being and how that sort of falls out um, down like a rainbow and like a fountain through into humanity and into the trees and the, everything that gives it that spiritual life, that actual life, the, the literal life of the way that we breathe and speak and act. So the, the cosmology actually links everything, every living thing to its creator and every breath that we draw, we are aware of that. So this this sort of creativity is not mindful in its purposefulness it doesn't sort of sit there and decide i'm going to create humanity today it isn't a, a seventh day adventist thing it doesn't do that it simply is and that's it mm. and we it's a mystery we don't understand we cannot comprehend we cannot explain it we're humans that's for you know the creatrix we right. can only access it and try and get some sense of that Mm -hmm. And that is, I suppose, where we all are in the world. We are all reaching out for that mystery, for the answer to that question. Right, right, exactly. Through many paths. <laughs> Through many, many paths. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we talked about the Old Covenant and um, in the previous uh, podcast that we did. Um, and But I, I wanted to go back to it because it is a very special ritual and it's actually uh, described as well as, you know, explained a little bit in, in the book. I don't mm -hmm. want you to go into depth into it, but I really wanted to ask you 
why is it important and why is it done only when necessity dictates? Mm -hmm. um, well, uh, it is in itself, as we covered last time, it is a bond, a troth between ourselves and spirit and our ancestors and the gods of our ancestors and the ultimate creatrix behind all of that. It is a system of law and law that enables us to act accordingly mm -hmm. um, within the customs and culture. The old covenant itself is something that is enacted once or twice in an entire lifetime as a gift to yourself and then as a gift away from yourself. So it's gifted to and away in one lifetime. And that's what makes it so very, very special and so very unique because it's something you um, take your troth to in very similar manner to a, a marriage, if you like. Mm -hmm. you, you take your vow, you, tro you troth yourself to that person. And, the, and in this, you become a servant, if you like. You are trothing your, your life and your service and your duty to the people that you um, serve, literally, your people. And you take that troth in witness of the gods, which is the covenant itself. You declare that troth. You declare that duty as yours, your mantle and your burden. And, and it is shared in the most exquisite of manners. And, and the authority is passed between the two people that take up this, the one before and then the one after. And then that is held then in that person's lifetime mm -hmm. until they either become deceased and then mm -hmm. it is just transported in spirit or it is um, gifted in life if the person feels they are in need of literally moving away from that and moving on in spirit themselves at some future time very close. Mm -hmm. And so it is passed to the next. And so it is very much a long-term plan and it is, that is the covenant, that is your duty. And then you, you literally take it to another who then takes that away from you and that mantle and burden becomes theirs. And so the covenant is continued through many hundreds of years, if you like, through many generations in the service of the people. Mm -hmm. Now, um, we, uh, we, we didn't talk about this uh, in the last one. Um, within the clan, there is this... Uh, this thing called the stang. Um, what aspects of the divine uh, the stang represent? Um, that is actually part of the covenant itself, as, mm -hmm. as the book explains, because that is passed over. It is the staff of office, in, if you like. So in taking over that, if you like, the spiritual embodiment of the ancestral presence is is within that. And so it is you're gifting that to the next generation to, to take care of, to, to maintain and nurture and continue to serve in duty and spirit. So it becomes a physical totem, the sum totality of all our ancestors before us. And so it is their presence, the egregore's presence. So it is, it is very much charged with, with, with all of that. And so it is the person that holds that, that holds that key to the egregore of the people. This should be an incredible thing to see. I mean, 
you know. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he's very much kept under wraps. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But you know, the, you know, when you say, oh, that's the sound. You know, when you see it for the first time, do you remember the first time that you saw it? Yes, I do. I was quaking at my knees. <laughs> I <was like> cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. Um, the, the awesome thought behind it, let alone the thing itself, just what it represented. Right. Um, so, yes, yes, it is. It is a thing to behold because of that knowledge that, that you know is embodied there and the, the, the magic, magic of that, the mystery of it and the mysticism that you know that it will transport you through in the compass because this is, if you like, the key that opens the door. It's, right. As Roy says in that beautiful poem that he writes, um, it is the key, it is the staff that, that the magister bangs upon the floor, that knocks upon the door, that opens the key. And it's, it's all of these amazing things and yes, it is. It's quite. A, it is quite a thing. <laughs> I, I would imagine. Um, I, we know that this the the stang is is also decorated with very symbolic um, in very symbolic ways. I don't want you to go into depth into in, into each one of them. There's a whole lot of things that are said in the book and explained. Um, I just want you to. Uh, Mention perhaps one or two, and 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 what is the purpose of this decoration process? Um, okay, the the decoration process itself is literally called the masking of the stang, um, because what you're doing is in very like manner to the Hindu that would put um, a wreath of flowers around the yoni and the lingam. Mm -hmm. This is what we are doing. We are literally honouring that point of contact between ourselves and the stang, which is for us the altar itself. We don't have a table. This is the altar because it is the point of sacrifice. It mm -hmm. is the altar itself. Um, so therefore, it is decorated. We honor it. So we put the wreath of flowers around um, or um, grains or uh, rush mats or anything that we feel that is appropriate for the knot that we're holding. Um, because it is significant in its symbology, because it is saying, this is the mask of God at this point. It's saying this. It is expressing this face. Because, again, as Joseph Campbell beautifully said, you know, the hero has a thousand faces, the God has millions. And so we see all of these facets in him as much as we see in her. And so he, f he wears that face for that knot, and we see him through that veil. So he's veiled too in the flora and fauna of everything that's manifest, which is being God of this world, this is what we wish to see. Um, so the whole thing becomes then um, a beautiful dress, visage of the God for us. Very beautiful. Um, what is faith for you? There is a, there is, <laughs> there is a, a, a chapter here talking about faith and um it, 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 it does say that it is extremely important. Why is it extremely important? Because I think without faith, we are um, rudderless in, in the world. I think it's something that we are instinctively drawn to need as human beings. It isn't something we desire. It is a need. It's a deep-seated yearning to have a belief in something and to have a reciprocity from that something, to feel that interaction, that communion, and to know that 
although it may be ambivalent, it may not. It just may pass through and we may just touch it and feel it and sense it. We need to have that contact. And so the faith that it is there, that we are not alone on this planet, just animals running around. We are, we are better and we can be more than that. And so the knowledge that it is there is the faith that inspires us. And the faith in itself is the way of life that we approach that belief. So it is not just the belief that it is there, but it dictates the way we live our lives. It, it dictates the way that we embrace the world of living, of being, of our customs, of the way that we interact with each other through our um, being with others. So it, it literally affects every moment. So it is for us the way, the path, in much the same way as many Eastern religions would say their faith is. Right, right. You mentioned, um, there, there is a mention in the book of um, spirals of existence. Mm. Um, and so what are these and, and, and uh, what are their origins? I think that phrase in itself was something that John coined because he was trying to explain um, one day, I think with Roy, they were having conversations about reincarnation and as many of us do now, we're still going over the same mysteries, trying to work <laughs> these things out, you know. Yes, yeah. And how do we go, you know, do we go back and forth many times? Do we come back, you know, differently? How does it all work? And um, the spirals of existence uh, was something that, that John decided to allude to all of these mysteries in that it isn't an endless circle. It doesn't go round and round and round. It is an, a spiral that goes in inwards, forever inwards, towards the center, in much the way that the Grail quests of the 11th and 12th centuries decided that you were going toward the Grail castle. So he alluded sort of to this Grail mentality, which is, again, what Roy was all about, the, the overcoming of fate brings you that Grail. Mm -hmm. So they, they, in their understanding of the mythos that, that is the tradition itself, they allowed... Um, themselves to use as analogies these these beautiful poetic metaphors to describe it so that you can envision it in, in almost immediately you have the spirals of existence which which turn around the spinning castle that doesn't spin um, it's um, and then the, of course this is at the center and the heart of it all this is where we're seeking so we're moving ever towards this in each incarnation till we get there right right this book is full of treasures. Um, it is uh, published by uh, Mandrake of Oxford. Uh, it is called The Star-Crossed Serpent, um, Evan John Jones and Shani Oates, Volume 1, Origins, Evan John Jones, 1966-1998, um, The Legend of Tubal Cain. Um, we just have, I, I just have to say this. Thank you very much, Mark, <laughs> for this wonderful opportunity. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and John and you, um, and, and of course, Robert, uh, to have, you know, shared these things with us. And, and, and of course, Mog made the vehicle possible, right? Yes, we um, certainly did. Yeah. So, um, it, it, there is also, uh, a mention here, 
and and this is about this is you know we're not talking about all of it because we just want the listeners to be curious enough to actually acquire a copy of this book and and read the rest there is um a chapter here called elementos watchers and the shadow company um what is the shadowy or the shadow company and the, and the hooded ones or the hooded ones okay the the shadow company are those that have gone before us that have trodden the mill in the space in the thing um that is the sacred space of many many generations before many centuries before um many hundreds of years in some cases it depends how old and um they they are sensed in the space in the peripheral vision they are sensed in the sound when we're stomping when we're dragging the feet when we're doing the dances when we're treading the mill in all of these circumambulations they are felt we know that they are there with us mm-hmm. and they can the, the shadow company is because they cannot be seen because they're in the shades obviously but they can be felt we are we know that they are there the hooded ones are if you like the the protectors of the the clan if you like the mm-hmm. the um ancestral spirits that are the watchers they are there because they are of a slightly different ilk to the ancestors mm-hmm. in that they are, are of a different um sort of vibratory rate they are the ones that uh are the grandmothers if you like the fairy godmothers they're the ones that watch over the spirit of each clan each clan family have these 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 beautiful uh, beings if you like that watch over us these clan mothers and those are the hooded ones and they represent the fates if you like almost like they do in macbeth three the beautiful three ladies there so yes. we have a, a an almost a representation of the fates there with us through those those hooded ones mm. um This is the taper that lights the way. This mm-hmm. is the cloak that covers the stone. There is this beautiful poem here um in a chapter that is called Child's Play. Child's Play. <laughs> And where this poem comes from, do we know? Well, we don't for certain. I mean, it, it, it like many things, Boy claimed he wrote that. <laughs> And there is no reason to believe that he didn't. Um there right. what he was very very skilled at is taking an existent um poem or nursery rhyme or story fairy story and seeing in it his own ability to express an idea of the faith of the tradition through so that it was familiar enough for people to understand already they already had a handle through the knowledge of what it was being said originally so he would change things so that it would give you a slightly different view and perspective very very lateral thinking and he was very good at that so i mean he's done a most beautiful thing with the the you know the green grow the rushes over very similarly mm-hmm. um but this particular one i think i think i'm very um safe to say that he almost wrote all of that himself i don't think in this particular instance it was another one we haven't found another one that is identical but that probably is if it's very old um mm-hmm. none of us have found it but that in itself as it's come down to us is very beautiful because it does explain the approach to the rites 
the rights themselves and and what is expected out of them and the and what comes after it's the whole purpose of the work and it's the the mentality of the approach the understanding of what is needed and what is desired too um so it is a mnemonic of what we are in ourselves as we approach that space beforehand the, the it's it's just going through it in your mind you know you're preparing yourself you know what's happening you know what's about to happen so it it is it's and it's a beautiful thing to see written and have read to you as um something to just inspire you and transport you into that space right yeah do you ever um ask someone that is not of the clan to uh, try to explain to you almost like in a sort of let's just see how this person is connected or if if this person is connected at all try to explain the poem to you without being in the knowing of what the poem is about or what really i mean it, it is obviously what you said but but this is this is something that someone that doesn't really know this can they or th did this happen ever can they actually get that i think i think they do i think this is a whole point of um what we would say are the people being drawn back home right um, you know she'll gather you back home again she takes you home you always come everyone comes back home in in each lifetime they're drawn because they see certain things that they understand that they may have done before and gone through before or if they are new to it they are drawn to it because they also have something that allows them to understand and access it because it speaks to their soul it's not it's not a special requisite of intelligence it's not um it's not marked in that way it's marked on a soul level it's just a deep-seated understanding that you're drawn by that thread in the same way that another person will be drawn to something else it doesn't make anyone better or worse it's just a difference and it sings to you in the way that you can understand the words so there is a, a slight recognition but obviously everyone can access these things and understand them to a certain degree Right. and some more than others as you say and they will they'll get more of the picture and that does happen yes people um do write and do we do get in contact with certain people and they'll say i think i've understood this and does do do am i right in thinking it means this and and oftentimes you know if they've got to that stage then they have reached some understanding that's very very useful and allows them to access further the understanding of those mysteries but there are always the core elements within those the things that i haven't said the things that they need to discover um through the through the rites themselves because the rest of the the keys if you like the jigsaw puzzles come within the work um right. so yeah so there there is still plenty to access right. still plenty for people to understand and work with and that was the beauty of of john and um Robert Skiff they could give this and still keep that treasure within it's, it, this 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 happens with everyone i think yes <laughs> you know? absolutely oh, the, the the good the, you know 
this this is and also um you know i know that this is a very very dear book to you as as the series is as well um it is not autobiographical or anything but it really is very dear and near to your heart because it is uh, talking about and 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 it's the work of robert and of of uh even so um did you felt like this did you felt when you came to the clan when you got in contact with um Evan John Jones and did you feel that you understood things that you that there were pieces that you knew most certainly yes i did and um i didn't i think like many people you don't really understand how much you understand until you really <laughs> begin putting it into practice because you're only ever touching the surface and each time even now Every time we do something, we learn a little more. There's, there's, we've still yet begun at the tip of the iceberg to unravel all these amazing mysteries and get to understanding them because they, they're always different. They're presented differently each time we approach them because we, there's no repetition. Everything is new. So it's, there's always another face, another angle, a deeper level. So we can never know. We can never know. It simply is a matter of learning and approaching it with new eyes every time. So it, however much I thought I knew, I still know I know nothing. <laughs> Let's talk about four rights that are mm -hmm. of importance to the clan. Um, one of them is the right of the cave and the cauldron. What is the purpose of this right? Mm, um... <laughs> okay, well, it's <laughs> I've obviously got to be very careful. That's a yes. very clever question. Um, yes, there are the four of them are yes. in tandem. They each one leads into the next, and um, because of that unity, it's quite a very long process. It's a long progression. It can take between a year and eighteen months to work through the four of them, and it's it's an observance of very very um, great depth. Um, it's the kind of um, pilgrimages that many people in the past would have done um, for great spiritual enlightenment and realization. And this is the purpose of them. They are, aside from the general nine knots of the year, they are extra rites that a person may opt or choose to undertake. And they're not compulsory and you could live a lifetime and never do them or you could do them several times. It depends on the need that you have and the, the drive and the, the time because they are very time consuming. Now the right. cave in the cauldron is one that you would approach really with um, the, uh, <laughs> the eye to an answer. You're seeking an answer for something. So mm -hmm. it's very much a quest, an inquiry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, for an, for some guidance. It's a very specific, it's very much divination-based. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you want an answer, you want direction. And that's what it's for. Some rites and, and works were left by Robert unfinished, or just um, the bare bones, which later on were fleshed out and worked um, onto the, to become a complete work or, you know, a, a more finished work. One of those is the Castle of the Four Winds. And, mm -hmm. and, and Robert actually defines this um, 
in the text as in this is this is what he says he says this is purely a religious exercise based upon an exceedingly ancient myth it has to do with the structure and creation of the ring like all which religion magic comes into it very strongly and it can be adapted for all purposes with a slight alteration it can become a purely magical symbol alter it again and it is the gateway or malkuth to the mysteries of the craft um what is your understanding of it now that that you um have uh, or or took the bare bones <laughs> that were mm -hmm. left by robert how do you feel it about about it now i think that in itself bare bones or enfleshed it is um perhaps i would say one of the most profound rites that anyone could undertake once you have the key that you are given in the cave in the cauldron um it isn't something that you would m move into very um lightly and you need a great deal of preparation and it is when undertaken with the right spirit it is something that can shift you forever irrevocably it changes your worldview completely mhm mm mhm mm and, and do you feel that this is so how how the work that was done uh you know to complete this right do mm -hmm. you think that this this is now done or is there any more work to do in terms of the ritual itself um <clears throat> i think even the bare bones the ritual was workable yes, it is just yeah. that the um it's i don't know, mm, it's more accessible because it is it is you have the the way that you can structure it Um, right, right. so that there's a little bit more polish, if you like, and a bit more of um, a way that we can repeat it, whereas in its original form, it was harder to, to repeat. Um, so we have that, but only because we were able to work the bare bones. And each time I think that it is worked, there is more that is, is given to it. So I think it can go on and on for quite some depth yet um, each time. But because of its intensity it isn't something we would probably do very often in a lifetime um not at all yeah, um yeah. but certainly each time that i have done uh, undertaken this then yes things become added if you like because of the the understanding that it brings so it does get deeper and bigger um each time mm -hmm, mm -hmm. finally the rose beyond the grave ritual mm -hmm. Um, what's his purpose and what, what is its symbolic meaning? Um, this again is the combination of all of the others. This, after, after having the, the understanding that you gain in the last one that, that sh shifts completely your perspective, which is what is necessary to go into this right. Because without that shift in your perspective, this on its own taken as a right out of that context is you it's it is to miss the point of it so it is very important whatever you do in the last one is carried forward into this mm -hmm. and then mm. this prepares you for an understanding um i suppose of where they both talk about the quick and the dead it's trying to get that 
understanding between that state, right. between being quick and between being dead, between mm -hmm. being both and neither. Um, and it is to see and experience while you're still alive what it is to be dead. Right, right. Robert um, writes, All that noise, sexual hysteria, and so on, is a dangerous force to play with, and this is what the Beatles are doing. I would not mm -hmm. be surprised to read that, A, that a meeting of R&B had evolved into a fertility rite, and B, that one of the Beatles had uh, come to a very bloody and untimely end, a la primitive magic of the god of vegetation. What is he talking about? <laughs> well, he's, he's, there are several things that he's talking about there. <laughs> um, he's talking about, in, in general, the way that you can feel the hysteria of a crowd mentality, especially when they're, they're high on the, the energy when you are at a concert or a, an incredible large ritual and there are lots of people, the buzz, I suppose, the, you can ride that wave. And he's talking about that, but he's talking about it being directed or misdirected, rather, um, by, uh, by politics, by um, current modes, by affairs that are in the world that drive people to anger, that inflame people. Um, so I suppose he's saying that without direction, without faith, the crowd mentality can become a very dangerous thing. Absolutely. I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what, what is the poem? There's, there's the, the uh, chapter that talks about the poison chalice ritual. Um, why is it important to do and to go through it? Um. It again is something that's an elected choice, um, because it is, it is, if you like, one of the final things that we can do. It is, there are is very little else we can do except going back to repeat what we've already done, and this is one of those things that I suppose is one of the most final things because after this, um, after you have given yourself in that way, that ultimately, that deeply. Again, your whole life after that is something that is is definitely lived differently. Mm -hmm. And the poison is in itself the mystery of the change that it kills or that you were to become something else. Mm -hmm. It is mm -hmm. a very transportive element. It's, um, it is very much the serpentine transmutation. It is all of the things that are associated with um, with the serpent and the poison. It is everything that every myth has ever spoken about in that. So to, to take that in hand, in, in the chalice, to, which is technically, you know, the grail, so you're mixing those, those ideas, those gnosis and death. So there's all of this going on within that rite, within the mind process that prepares you for that rite. Mm -hmm. Again, it isn't just something you do like this Saturday. I'm going to do the poison chalice, right? This, this is what <laughs> I need to go through. It's it could be a couple of years more, in that fact, sometimes in preparation, and it's the culmination of everything else. And so it can take ten years of pilgrimages to get to that point when you would need to do this. Right. It may right. take the lifetime 
or next lifetime because it is so and you know that it's going to be such a a, a mind-changing operation of course yeah you know it, it is very interesting you're talking about time and you're talking mm -hmm. about 10 years you know maybe next life <laughs> mm -hmm. um and uh, you know you don't see people doing this uh, in in the community in general. Um, you don't really see them planning this or wanting to prepare for anything. They just want to jump in. <laughs> mm -hmm. They want quick and fast, and um, which is really interesting because you're you're just you're just talking about a point that it really is important, this, this mentality of quick and answers and, and ready answers. And, you know, spiritual evolution of a human being is not to be done fast. Mm -hmm. I agree <laughs> um, totally. And, you know, and, and fast and well, there's no one who can do it. And, and mm -hmm. it's really, it takes time, it takes preparation. Unfortunately, um, most of the people don't really don't understand this and, and they really want things. I think there was the other day someone asked me, you know, so can you, can you, can you initiate me? And I said, no, it doesn't really work that way. Well, wh why not? Because it isn't, <laughs> it mm -hmm. doesn't, you know, it's not like popping out, a, you know, no, it's, it's really not that way. And it, 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 people don't understand why, because everything is so electronic, so ready, so into your hands. So mm -hmm. it comes to you so fast that we forgot to, to actually slow down and, and, uh, and, and go through the process. Um, Evan John Jones says, um, and I'm going to quote from the book, Today, the people of Gota of the clan of Tubal-Cain stands on the verge of another change in direction, just as Robert Cochrane predicted. This is not something that has come about in an arbitrary way, but which has evolved gradually over six to eight years. Through our working of the four keys, we felt pushed by the old ones in a specific direction. What we did in Cochrane's time suited the psychic climate of that time. What are we doing now suits our time, and eventually, what we now do will have outlived its usefulness. What will not change are the core concepts of the stone still, the cave of the cauldron, the castle of the four winds, and the chapel of the grave, because they are the rootstocks on which the clan of Tubal-Cain through the star-crossed serpent, was founded and handed on to Cochrane, who in turn passed to others. As long as the clan survives, so will his name, for he was the one who introduced it to a wider public, the first of his tradition to do so. How do you, Shani Oates, mm -hmm. see the clan of Tubal came today? Is this shift occurring right now? How, how do you see it? Um, I think each generation, each mantle bearer, each through their duty and service, changes um, the peripheral um, understanding because every generation sees it through a new lens, through new eyes. The world is shifting its patterns. Mm -hmm. It's shifting its relationships with uh, itself, with the universe. On every level, everything is different to the way it was for our ancestors. The only thing that is eternal is faith, is the need, the basic human needs to have 
food, clothes, shelter, um, a spirit, an ancestor to know where we're from and where we're going, to have communion with our brothers, sisters, and the gods. These never change. So those things, we wrap around um, a way of living, and the way of living changes, as we now have, as, as you know, Robert says, we don't have the culture share in, in the modern life, in the 21st century, we don't need it. We have tractors and combine harvesters. So we, it's not about returning to an archaic way of life, it's about maintaining archaic beliefs um, and living in the real world as it shifts forwards, ever forwards. So it's adapting ourselves to live in new environments, maintaining the old values and the old ways of living in, in the way that we understand our humanity in relationship to life. And this is um, <laughs> this is Shani Oates on um, the Starcrossed Serpent. This is the volume one. We're going to do volume two, and we're going to progress into other books as well. Um, the book has a couple of uh, uh, um, addendums, appendix, um, and they're really, really good. One of them that I really like um, it's the Favalar Romana. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> of course it is. Um, uh, Roman bread uh, beans. And it really is very interesting because it says here that you, know, you, you, you now have the traditional dish that uh, was once used as an offering to the departed as part of the Feast of the Dead. So this is a recipe that it's very, very old. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, it's, there's a, a couple of other things in here as well. Um, there are absolutely incredible and... Uh, people don't really mention this, but there is an extensive biography, which I think that it's absolutely wonderful. Um, there's so many things. Uh, there are a couple of uh, also letters from from uh, from uh, uh, Robert uh, to um, Robert Graves, um, and it's it's so enlightening and wonderful to read those as well, um, because you know you you can see that there's a whole lot of things that are not really actually. <laughs> book that they come up uh, in the letters. So um, would you change this edition at all? <laughs> that particular version I think is, is perfect the way that it is because it is the way that John wrote it. The yeah. appendices are a couple of the things that he was kind enough to share with me that I have added and a couple of thoughts of my own to those. And of course, there are Robert's letters to Robert uh, to Robert Graves too, so there there are extra things um, to his book, but the book in itself I don't think could be improved upon. the 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 second volume in the series is is the shift, um, and how that progresses in current lifetime, and the third one, of course, is the one that goes back to look at Roy's letters, um, so it republishes the letters. In a chronology, but we, you know, we can talk about that another time. But yes. I certainly wouldn't reproduce this one any other way than he has written it. I think that it's perfect the way it is. It really. is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, uh, Shani, thank you so much for uh, once again being here, uh, sitting on the black chair. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here.